Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're looking forward to tonight. Um, we have an exciting evening. That's why you're here. And um, um, you're going to hear a little bit more about Kevin Hartnett after we sing a few songs. But we are excited to just look at God's creation and see all that that teaches us about God. And um, I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Joe. And probably like many of you, I did a lot of different things this week. Even today, I was at swim practice and driving kids different places. Um, so I want to pray for us all that the Lord would just set our minds on Him. I know you guys all have busy schedules, so thanks for coming. And we all come with lots of cares, lots of concerns. So I want to read a, a few verses from Philippians chapter 4, and then just pray for us, and then we're going to sing to the Lord. Philippians 4, verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's ask the Lord for help. Father, thank you for just another beautiful day that you have made. Lord, we want to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we, we come needy before you. We come carrying many cares and concerns in our own personal lives. And when we turn on the news, we, we have other fears and worries and anxieties. And Lord, we cast all those cares on you. And Holy Spirit, we ask for help tonight to set our minds on you, to fix our gaze on our great Creator who sent His Son Jesus to live and die and rise from the grave for us. So Lord, fill us with joy as we sing to you and we study your creation. And Lord, we ask all this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Well, thanks again for coming, everyone. Um, we know there's a lot of things you could be doing on a Friday night. We're excited that uh, you joined us today, especially those of you who are guests who don't um, go to church here. Thanks for coming. Um, we're really excited for a number of reasons, um, primarily because of what, what our um, speaker is going to be talking about tonight. And let me just tell you a little bit about him. His name is Kevin Hartnett. His son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter are members of our church, um, but he works for NASA at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, as a science operations manager for the Hubble Space Telescope mission. I imagine you have to be pretty intelligent to be able to do that. Um, so we're going to learn some things. He provides technical and managerial oversight to the contractor team that runs the science program for the Hubble mission at Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. He studied physics and astronomy at the University of Delaware and worked 13 years in the private industry before joining NASA. So he's going to tell us a lot of things that we might not know. Um, Kevin and his wife, Maureen, who is a graduate, a graduate of the Maryland Institute of Art, have been married for 34 years, and they have two adult children. Uh, Kevin is, is an active sky watcher, an astrophotographer, and has authored this book um, entitled The Heavens, Intimate Moments with 
Your Majestic God. This is a great devotional book, and we're going to have some available for sale at the end of tonight. But this is a, just a great read that's going to cover a lot of stuff he's talking about tonight as well. He also enjoys singing and writing poetry. And in this book, um, a number of his poems are, are captured there as well. So at this time, can we welcome Kevin up? Thank you so much. Are you okay down here? Yeah. So am I live? Yes, very good. Thank you. Gee, it's great to be here. I've been so looking forward to this. Uh, I have many reasons to come to Indiana, as, uh, as Joe already mentioned, uh, with uh, our son here and daughter-in-law and uh, little Evie. And he didn't even mention the, the Wallworks. Uh, Jocelyn's, our daughter-in-law's parents are here, members of the church. And so, again, many great reasons to, to be here. Um, I told Mark this, too, the, the senior pastor here. Well, first, let me see hands who've never been here before, just out of curiosity. Uh, great. Uh, Indiana Church, welcome your, your visitors here. Uh, I told Mark um, Altrogi, the, the senior pastor here at, at another time, that I'm always affected by his ministry and, and teaching. Uh, he's a songwriter. And somehow I always uh, am more in tune with the love of God after I, I uh, spend time with him and uh, just catch his spirit as a man. Um, so uh, it is always a good time to, to come here and, and be around him as well. Uh, Maureen and I have known the Altrogi family for, gee, 30 years or so. And, um, and we do live down in uh, the Maryland suburbs of, of D.C., uh, where we fellowship down there. I work for NASA. Yeah, at the Goddard Space Flight Center, a great place to work. Uh, if you're ever down that way, um, I mean, I imagine, uh, I don't know how we can work this, but uh, I'd be happy, really. I have a, a poetry site where I have an email address, and you can email me. I frequently give tours. I give tours to homeschool groups. I give tours to other groups. Um, I'd love to have you come, and I can show you the Hubble Control Center the James Webb Space Telescope that's being built there. That's the Hubble follow-on. Lots of really, really cool things at Goddard. Uh, if you're anything like me, you'll never leave. You'll just, uh, I went there as a 15-year-old. There's a, a picture of me standing outside Building 5. And, you know, kind of love at first sight, I guess. Um, I'm glad to see a lot of children here. I did fall in love with astronomy when I was in elementary school. Um, I had a friend named Don who was building a telescope. That was kind of unusual back in those days. And uh, I helped him a little bit, grinding this mirror and making this telescope. We joined a club, um, which is a good thing to do if you're interested in astronomy. And other guys had scopes, and we looked through them, and I saw Saturn. And that was it. That never been the same. Uh, so if you ever have the opportunity, take your children, children, look at, look at the planets. Um, it'll do something to you that you'll like. Okay, so I am, uh, I'm a NASA employee, but I'm not speaking to you on behalf of NASA or as a NASA employee tonight. I'm just speaking as a grateful Christian man who loves the Lord, 
has loved astronomy for a long time, um, but I haven't always been a Christian. In fact, I, I opposed being a Christian pretty hard for a long time. Uh, and that's a story I'd be happy to tell any of you at another time. It's not tonight's topic. Um, but that happened back in my college days, and uh, that changed my life too in uh, a real big way. So what's the plan for the next mm, 45 or 50 minutes, depending on how fast I talk and how many questions you might have? What we're going to do is uh, I'll present some facts with pictures uh, from the science of astronomy and uh, then look at some Old and New Testament scriptures um, and see what they have to say about science, the heavens, and the Lord, and basically try to address the question, what do we mean, what does the scripture mean, when it says the heavens declare the glory of God? Let's kind of put a little meat on the bone there, so to speak. Um, we'll have the lights down for a fair amount of time. If you have a question, try to get my attention. If we get a lot of questions, I may ask you to just kind of hold them uh, to the end where we may have more of a, uh, a question-answer time. And Sometimes during the course of the, the talk, if you have a question, I end up answering it along the way. Uh, but don't hesitate. It's just I may not be able to see your hand. You may have to, to call out to me. All right, well, let's, let's pray briefly. We've already done that, but I, I'd like to commit the evening to the Lord in a special way. Lord, thank you for this place, for the freedom to meet and discuss the Bible without fear. Lord, I thank you for your amazing work in the form of every unique thinking, and feeling person in this room. Lord, I pray you meet with us. Open our eyes. Doesn't your word say that you teach men knowledge? Would you teach us tonight? Help us to apprehend and know the truth. Guide our evening. Let it be a rich and memorable experience for each and every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, to serve those with very short attention spans, this is what we might find that the, uh, that the heavens teach us about the Lord. We'll find that he's powerful, intelligent, glorious, creative, artistic, and infinite. Okay, so those who feel like they need to leave, can leave. There, there's the message. Uh, I'm going to revisit that list at the end here, and we'll see if those words just don't mean a little bit more to us then. Okay? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day after day pours forth speech, and night after night, declares knowledge. Verse 4, it says, In them, the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun. Uh, so let's get the first slide up there. Uh, I should mention, I found that on the web this week. Uh, maybe some of you saw that. That's a picture by Julia Fletcher from Australia, runner-up in the people in space category, Royal Greenwich Observatory 2014, Astronomy Photographer of the Year. I thought that was a really cool picture. Okay, so in them he has set a tent for the sun. 
He was the sun. We all know that the earth revolves around a small to medium-sized star named the sun. Well, what are stars? Stars are huge spheres of incredibly hot plasma. That's what physics, uh, astrophysicists call it. What's plasma? Plasma is gas that has an electrical charge. So if you moved a magnet next to that gas, it would move because it has a charge to it. So that charged gas is called plasma. Okay, so that's what stars are, charged gas. How big is the sun? 865,000 miles across. Okay, the diameter of the earth at the equator is about 8,000 miles. So the diameter of the sun is, remember this number, about 109 times greater than the diameter of the earth. So you can fit 109 earths across the diameter of the sun there. Um, pretty darn big. Now, who remembers the uh, formula for the volume of a sphere? Go ahead, shout it out. Four-thirds pi r cubed is the volume of a sphere. Uh, okay, I cheated. I looked that up. You know, I... Uh, some of the kids probably know that, you know, the parents, you know, we, we forget these things. Okay, but what's, what does that mean? Well, when you cube anything, it gets really big really fast. So it's not particularly intuitive, but although you could put 109 suns across the face, you can fit 1,300,000 Earths inside the sun. Just let that sink in a little bit. If you ever like walked home from work or anything, you, did, you know, the earth's kind of big, sun's kind of big, gee whiz. Uh-huh. All right, so how, uh, how hot is the sun? Well, it's about 11,000 degrees at, at the uh, uh, surface, and the core temperature is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot enough to sustain nuclear fusion. Now... Here's a, a picture of an atomic blast, and um, this is, uh, I believe, a picture of one of the test blasts. We know that this is a, a nuclear reaction. It's not based on fusion. It's based on a process called fission. But in either case, matter in these nuclear reactions is converted into energy According to Einstein's equation that some of us remember, the energy E equals the mass times C squared. What's C? C is the speed of light, which is a big number. E equals MC squared. So a little bit of mass makes a whole lot of energy. So to scale our understanding, I want you to try to see this. This is a paper clip. We all know what a paper clip is. It weighs about a gram it was about a gram of matter that got converted into energy in that atomic bomb, which was about 14 kilotons. Okay? One gram equals that. Okay, so the sun converts four and a half million tons of mass into energy every second. Let that 
just sink in a little bit. How much is that? Well, that's, that's about the same if you've ever walked on a, a Nimitz-class uh, aircraft carrier. If you can imagine 10 aircraft carriers, uh, that's about the same 4.5 million tons into energy every second. So that works out to 500 sextillion horsepower. Uh, that's um, 21 zeros, okay, you know, uh, at, at the end of that thing. Also known as half a septillion. I, I love looking at these numbers. If you ever get bored, you know, Google big numbers and look at their names. I mean, they're, they're great. Um, so how can this work? Well, the sun must be exceedingly massive, right? I mean... Four and a half million tons every second, how much does it have? Well, it's estimated to have two trillion, trillion, trillion tons of mass. So I thought, what, what can I use as an example for that besides like, you know, the federal budget or something like that? I mean, what, what, the deficit, what, what, what do we have that's even, you know, close to these numbers? Uh, and I really, really don't know how to help you with that. Uh, if you've ever been in a place where you have like a trillion gnats around you and then think about a trillion spots where you have a trillion gnats and a trillion planets with a trillion spots with a trillion gnats and then you got two of those, okay? Because it's two trillion, 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 trillion times. So that's, uh, that's a lot. Okay, so it's a good thing that the sun is very far away, right? Who knows how far the sun is away? 93 million miles. Okay, very good. This is what the sun looks like right now. Or I should say at least three hours ago. This is a picture taken by a um, NASA Goddard built a satellite called the Solar Dynamics Explorer. And um, so I took, downloaded this this afternoon. Um, if you have a telescope with the right kind of filters... You can see those little flames called prominences that stick off the end. Um, I belong to a, a club that has a telescope like that. Really, really cool to, to look at. You can look, and it looks very much like this. So uh, let that whet your, whet your appetite. Okay, so um, I mentioned that there's these, uh, that the sun is plasma. Okay, so uh, the black spots on the sun are like storms, magnetic storms. Lots of magnetic fields are driven on the sun, and it's sort of like uh, in the physics class, taking the bar magnet next to the iron filings, you, you, they move along the magnetic field. So the, the plasma moves in reaction to the magnetic field. So you have these huge loops. Uh, that loop is bigger than the Earth. Uh, it's just hard to fathom. Um, can you see that it's a good thing that we're 93 million miles away from it? And, and is there any wonder in your mind that, uh, you know, you read in Scripture where it says at the end of time the, the elements are burned up. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's one bad day. You know, the sun gets, has a burp or something, and there, you know, it's, that, there it is. You know, it doesn't take much to, to think about how that could happen, um, really. Okay, so uh, that's quite a few facts already. We don't want to get OD'd on facts. 
Let me take a break here and let's bring up the house lights for just a second. Let's, uh, let's try to understand the scale of things a little bit. Um, so here's a, a basketball that's about a foot across, maybe a little less, but um, let's call this the Earth. And let's try to get a sense for just how big the sun is in the solar system, because this will help us as we move forward. All right, so this is the Earth. The closest astronomical body to Earth is the moon, right? Okay, so the moon is about a quarter of the size of the Earth. And how far would the moon be away from the Earth on this scale? Well, I had some help earlier. Lily, wherever she's at, she helped me uh, measure it out. We've got the bongo moon over here. Do you see the candlestick and that little wiffle ball? Okay, so that's the scale of the moon, 30 feet away from the Earth. Can you understand how brave those astronauts were leaving here on a little molecule-sized spaceship and flying over there and landing on it and then coming back? Hey, that's... No small trick. Okay, so on this scale, where's the sun? Well, this, and how big is the sun? Well, we know the sun, if this is a foot, remember that number, right? 109. The sun's 109 feet across, and it's sitting up uh, near uh, Indiana Area High School, two and a quarter miles away. Okay, so it's about the size of, it's a sphere, so it's 109, you know, in all directions. So that's like a 10 or 11 story big warehouse and about that far away from here. Uh, on that same scale, uh, Jupiter would be an 11 foot ball, okay, 11 feet in diameter because it's more than 10 times bigger than the Earth. And it's about 10 miles away. So it's down uh, on the northern side of Blairsville from here. That's where Jupiter is. Saturn's about twice as far away. Saturn would be about the same size as a Saturn automobile, a sedan. Twice as big if you count the ring, right? Saturn's the one with the ring around it. And uh, so that's about 20 miles away. That would put it on the outskirts of Johnstown and Pluto. I'm not allowed to say the planet Pluto anymore. I have to say the dwarf planet Pluto, right? The dwarf planet Pluto is about the, a fifth the size of the Earth. Remember, this is the Earth. So it's about the size of a plum or this little ball. And um, on this scale, Pluto is 90 miles away. So that puts it in Fairmont, West Virginia or Youngstown, Ohio. So I'll put the NASA hat back on for a second. It's your job to fly a spacecraft off of this and go to Fairmont, West Virginia in the dark and look for this (laughs) and send me back some high-resolution images. (laughs) Okay, that's not easy. All right, NASA makes it look easy. We have a spacecraft that's going to arrive 
at Pluto in 2015. Very exciting. Uh, it won't go in orbit because it's going so fast, it can't slow down. It didn't take enough fuel to slow down. I mean, you've got to use fuel to speed up and slow down, okay? So it's just going to right past. And so you've got to get those high-resolution images going at a very high rate of speed. So very tricky stuff. Um, okay. So I want to shrink this model a little bit so that we can fit the nearest stars. That's a good idea. So let's make the Earth, we're shrinking it, okay? No longer a foot. Now the Earth is, but you can't even see that. Up here you can. You see that sesame seed I've taped on there? Okay, so there's the Earth, size of a sesame seed. Okay, the sun, what's that number? 109, 109 times that, which makes it kind of like this. Maybe 109 of these little sesame seeds would go across the face of a grapefruit or a softball. Okay, so this would be the sun. And the sun, in, on this scale, um, is about... 45 feet away from Earth, rather than two and a quarter miles. So that would be about back to the uh, sound booth. So sesame seed back there and sun here. Pluto on that scale, remember Pluto's a fifth the size of a sesame seed now. And Pluto's down at the intersection of uh, Wayne Avenue and Hospital Road. It's a third of a mile away. Okay, so that's where the dwarf planet Pluto, very dwarf. It's only a fifth of the sesame seed now, okay. Where would the next star be? Frederick, Maryland? Pittsburgh? Maybe New York? No, it would be in Los Angeles, California. Think about that. The next closest star on that scale is a grapefruit or softball that's sitting actually from here. It would be out in the ocean a little bit, a little past Los Angeles, California. My, oh my. Did you know that it's six million 437,376 millimeters from where I'm standing to the front door of the police department in Homer City. You probably didn't know that. <laughs> I needed help measuring that too. No, I didn't measure that, okay? Uh, you say, that's ridiculous. How can you know? How do you measure something, you know, and that find a scale? It doesn't make any sense. Well, the same is true in astronomy now, Okay. How many million miles was it to the sun? 93 million miles. Okay, that's a number that's 15 times bigger than the 6 million number I gave you. So you don't measure distance in astronomy in miles. Can you see it's like 15 times as ridiculous to measure the distance from the earth to the sun in miles. You don't measure it that way, and you don't measure the distance between stars in miles. Okay? So what do you measure the distance to a star in? Some people know, right? 
We light years. Light years. So what's a light year? Well, it's the distance light travels in a year. Okay, so I got this laser pointer, and if that wall weren't there, in one second, you could see that light beam 186,282 miles away. In one second, that's how far that light beam goes. 186, just call it 186,000 miles a second. The speed of light. It takes four years to get to the nearest star. I mean, that's, it's almost unbelievable. Um, it turns out that there's six trillion miles in a light year. And so the closest star, anybody know the name of the closest star? Alpha Centauri. Don't you love that name? Alpha Centauri. Uh, it sounds like a movie or something. Um, has anybody ever seen Alpha Centauri? Good. You can't see it from here. I saw it just this past year for the first time. It's a very bright star. It's the third brightest star in the sky. But you can't see it from here. Because we're up here, right? Here's the North Pole. We're 40 degrees up. You've got to be down here because it's down there. See, the star's up here, but there's stars down there too. And if we're up here, you can't see those stars down there. So if you lived at the South Pole, you lived like even in Australia, you probably never saw the Big Dipper because the Big Dipper's up there. And I'd never seen Alpha Centauri until this summer uh, or this uh, past May. So Alpha Centauri is four light years away, just like to Homer City, it's four miles. Okay, we don't measure it in millimeters, we measure it in miles. And we measure the distance to Alpha Centauri as four light years, not 24 trillion miles. You with me? You see that, how that makes sense? Okay, so let me show you something here. Here's a picture of some stars. Some of them are in your night sky. But let me point out Sol. That's our sun. That's the Roman name for the sun. Sol. The solar system. Okay, that's the system of planets around the sun. There's Sol. Arcturus. Okay, that's a nice spring star. Um... Betelgeuse is in the Orion, as is Rigel. Antares is in the night sky. It's kind of low in the south. Uh, it's in Scorpio. How big is that darn thing? I mean, look at that. Well, if you were to put Antares where the sun is, here, and here's Antares, do you see that Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars would all be inside it, and almost Jupiter. 955 times bigger than the Sun in diameter. Um, so it's, 
I think 512 million suns can be inside Antares. One star. Oh my. Okay, so let me show you something. What in the world? This is a Hubble Space Telescope picture. Uh, it, we called it an ERO. Of course, NASA has all kinds of acronyms. An early release opportunity. This was one of the very first pictures that they took with the advanced camera for surveys. Um, check that. It was Widefield Camera 3 in 2009. Um, so it's of a uh, cluster of stars called Omega Centauri. Think for just a second now of the scale. Now that we understand how big stars are and how powerful they are, think of the power. Try to think with me. Think of the power and the distance. How big this cluster is. But before you get too far, I'll I'll give it up here. This isn't the whole cluster. Okay, that's Omega Centauri. And that's the part you're looking at with Hubble. What? I mean, really? How many stars are in that thing? Well, it is hard to count them. Um, This is what astronomers spend their time doing, see? Astronomers think that there's 10 million stars. 10 million stars inside Omega Centauri. I saw Omega Centauri. It's beautiful. You could see it as a little cluster in binoculars. You could see it with your naked eye. You look in binoculars, you see that little ball of stars. Nothing like that, but it still is quite amazing. So there's 10 million stars inside Omega Centauri. Now let me show you something else. This is a uh, picture of the Sombrero Galaxy. Can you tell why? If you squint a little bit, kind of looks like a sombrero. You can, in my telescope, it looks more like a sombrero than this Hubble image. Okay, uh, this is in the spring sky in the constellation Virgo. I've seen it many times. I can actually see that dark band with my telescope. It's fun to see these things. From here, you can see it a whole lot easier than down in the D.C. area where we have all the light pollution. You see these little stars? They're not stars. Well, what are they? They're Omega Centauri's. That little dot. That's one of those. What? I mean, how do you know? How can that be? How big is that? How big is that galaxy? Well, uh, how we know is with Hubble, we took a picture of this thing called G1. G1 is one of those little dots, but it's outside the Andromeda galaxy. Andromeda galaxy is like 15 times closer than the Sombrero galaxy. 
And when Hubble looks at little G1, that's what it sees. So astronomers, busy counting those things, um, they think there's twice as many stars in this G1 as there are in Omega Centauri. And notice how it's not round. It's kind of interesting. The, uh, the clusters like this, these are called globular clusters. Um, they tend to be round in the Milky Way and not as round in Andromeda. Nobody knows why. So globular clusters, Omega Centauri kind of things, they're all around our galaxy. See, our galaxy looks something like this, what we call the Milky Way galaxy. And we believe our sun's about halfway out. And we can see about 160 globular clusters in the sky. Hubble's taking a survey of them right now. Um, right now, meaning this year. So we'll have pictures from Hubble of all 160 of these uh, globular clusters. Uh, so how big is the galaxy then if, if uh, one of these globular clusters contains millions of stars? Well, um, This is another galaxy similar to both those, uh, the Andromeda and uh, Sombrero, and similar, we think, to the Milky Way. It's a full 100,000 light years across. 100,000 light years. So if you were on a planet around a star and you shined that laser pointer, it would take 100,000 years at 186,000 miles a second to be seen on the other side of the galaxy. How long do you think it would take you to travel? I mean, we don't go anywhere near the speed of light. Right? It would take us about 70,000 years to get to Omega Centauri. Four light years away. Our, at our fastest, our fastest uh, spaceship would take 70,000 years to get to the closest star. So can you, can you understand now why you can never get a picture of the Milky Way galaxy from outside and send it home? See, it would be many, 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 many lifetimes for it to even get out there. And many, many, many lifetimes for it to send its picture back. Okay, so if, you've, if it came out of the screen this way, 10,000 light years, well, that means when it transmitted that picture, it would take 10,000 years to get back. It's amazing. All right, so to help this drive, uh, drive this home just a little bit more, imagine our, uh, imagine our model, our, our scale model where the Earth is just a little uh, sesame seed and the Pluto, remember it's the outer edge of that one was down at Hospital Road and Wayne Avenue, 
okay, a fifth of the size of the sesame seed. Let's shrink that all down to two inches across, the size of a cookie, okay, like an Oreo or an oatmeal cookie or something, okay? So the whole solar system is two inches across. How big do you have to make this picture so that that solar system fits into scale correctly? So you have to enlarge this picture. But how many times do you have to enlarge it? Well, let me read you the answer. It's um, in a book called Burnham's Celestial Handbook written by uh, Robert Burnham. He was at Lowell Observatory. And he says the answer, as we expected, is literally numbing to the mind, but once again serves to shock us into some degree of comprehension of the vastness of space. An enlargement of a few times will not help us. Or a few hundred times. But suppose we can enlarge the picture until it covers all of North America. Then the billions of individual stars will appear as pinpoint specks averaging about 600 feet apart. The solar system, if we can locate the exact spot to look for it, will be about two inches in diameter and the sun and earth will appear as two pinpoint dots about a thirtieth of an inch apart. The earth, in fact, will be totally invisible to the naked eye on this scale, and we shall have to examine our super-enlarged picture with a super-microscope to eventually locate the earth as a sub-microscopic dot a few millionths of an inch in diameter. Try to think, just try to imagine that picture covering all of North America. And our little spot in it. Do you know that the sun, of course, is being flung around the galaxy? You can see that in this image. All those stars are being flung around the galaxy. Well, we can measure that velocity it's 540,000 miles an hour. And at that rate, it would take 200 to 250 million years to complete one orbit around the center of our galaxy. All right, now I don't want you to fall asleep, but close your eyes for just a second. And think with me here. Hold very, very still. Can you feel the physical forces that's moving you right now at 540,000 miles an hour? Picture yourself in your mind's eye walking around at night. And you look up. Can you even see this huge thing that we're supposedly inside of called the galaxy. Is all of this stuff really true? Well, let me have your eyes for a second. It is true. 
It's remarkable. It's true. It's sort of like a, an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or something like that. The, the galaxy is so big, you can't see it. And the motions are so grand, you're caught up in them, and you don't even know it. So close your eyes again with me. Think carefully. Do you feel the spiritual force that's keeping you alive and guiding the trajectory of your life, namely the Lord? Picture yourself walking around wherever you were today. Did you see God? Is He really true? Give me your eyes. You bet your life he's true. You see, in a similar sense to the galaxy, God is too big and so grand, you can't sense him even though the evidence for him is right in front of your eyes. It reminds me of a conversation that Jesus had with uh, the Jewish teacher Nicodemus. Remember he said, Jesus said, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Well, this is kind of in that vein. I would say to you, in this case, if you do believe earthly things, if you believe that we are in a galaxy, on a planet, moving at 540,000 miles an hour, If you believe these things you can't see, why shouldn't you believe heavenly things? Another way to think about it is this. What do you rely on to know the truth about the universe and the things that control you? Is it your eyes? Is it your feelings? The Apostle Paul made an interesting statement in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Even in the physical realm, you might say, the things that are seen are insignificant, but the things that are unseen, like the galaxy, are huge and controlling. It's really a, a different uh, lecture altogether, but it's it's interesting uh, fact that scientists um, think now that most of the universe is invisible. That's the standard cosmology of many uh, astronomers today. They would say that most of the universe is formed out of a thing called dark energy. They call it dark because they don't know what it is. And dark matter. And they don't know what that is either. Um, And the part that we see is only 2 or 3% of the whole universe. Now they have some good reasons for thinking that. My point is, what do you rely on to know? And can you really sense those things? 
So, here's another thought. Um, I don't want to get too far afield here, but uh, there's a principle of logic that says, out of nothing, nothing comes. Have you ever heard that? Seems like it makes sense. Out of nothing, nothing comes. Or think about it this way. If there was ever a time when absolutely nothing existed, what could there be now? Well, nothing. If there was ever a time there really was nothing, out of nothing, nothing comes. So that tells you right now, there had to be something eternally. What was it? Well, astronomers don't think it was the universe. Okay, so the universe, they think, has a beginning. And so, maybe the words in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth aren't just craziness, right? Irrelevant, but maybe very, very relevant. All right. So the point is that Our senses are unreliable in detecting the ultimate reality. And I would put it to you, uh, my opinion, opinion of many others, that God is the ultimate reality. He tells us in his word, Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to know something? You want to start on square one? You start with acknowledging the Lord. 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So let me uh, let that sink in for a minute and share a few poems here. These are my contemplations on such things. This is a little one just called One World is Immaterial. One world is immaterial, one such that human eye can see. Indeed, the more ethereal directs the latter's destiny. Or how about this one, a contemplation about the Whirlpool Galaxy. Impossibly gigantic, yet hid from normal view, with silent force controlling the sum in your purview. And is it not these likenesses in beauty, strength, and grace that take my eye to see in you the great designer's trace? Or this one, if stars could speak and tell us of their view of grand celestial movements, tracks, and speeds, we'd be the better counseled to see through the fog that from our feelings air proceeds. Thus so should angels tell us all they see of God's transcendent means for guiding men, our hearts so blind would surely better be informed with truth to trust his word again. So while you're contemplating all that, let me show you some other pretty galaxies. This is a Hubble image that they like to call the rose. Can you see why? It's kind of like a stem and looks like a a rose pattern up there. Um, This one, one of my favorites, called a barred spiral. Can you see why? It's got this bar spiral arms 
but a bar. This one's called NGC 1300. NGC stands for New General Catalog. I told you we like acronyms. Uh, NGC 1300. This one's NGC 2841. Isn't that beautiful? Remember, these little dots, you know what they are, right? I mean, they're not little stars, okay? They're clusters of stars. Many of them like Omega Centauri. Okay, this one, look at that thing. It's glowing because those are stars. <laughs> and it's 100,000 light years across. There's another beautiful one. And that one's seen edge on, kind of like the Sombrero Galaxy, M104, only exactly edge on. Again, stars and these dots, you know what they are now. They're clusters of stars. How about this one? This one's a cool one. Um, this is a cluster called ARP-116. A guy named Halton ARP had a collection of kind of weirdo-looking galaxies and, and galaxy doubles and stuff. So this is 116 in his cluster. It's also, M60, Messier 60, and uh, NGC 4647. This is M60. It's, a, uh, it's an elliptical galaxy, not a spiral. It's shaped more like Omega Centauri. This is like Omega Centauri on steroids, okay? Uh, it's, it's unbelievably big. M, M60, which you can see with my telescope in the spring sky, it's, uh, it's about a million light years across. Imagine what the sky looks like if you're inside one of these things. Would it even be dark at night? Probably not. Amazing. Just to think about. Well, um, this cluster, if you go to uh, hubblesite.org, um, that's the, uh, the outreach site of the Hubble mission run by the Space Telescope Science Institute that I helped to oversee. Last week, there's a press release on this, uh, this uh, duo here. Why? Because they were focusing on this little guy right here that they call M60 UDC something or other, UDC1. Uh, there it is. Um, They've been very busy, and they counted 140 million stars inside that little dot. And what's more amazing is they found a black hole at the center of that little dot. And that black hole is a thousand times bigger than the black hole that they think is at the center of our galaxy, whereas that little dot is only about one five hundredth the size of our galaxy. How did that happen? Nobody knows. Black holes are not holes. You know, they're, they're massive things. So massive that light can't escape them. And the one at the middle of our galaxy they believe has four and a half million times the mass of the sun. 
Remember that one? Two trillion, trillion, trillion tons. So it's four and a half million times that in the black hole in the center of our galaxy. They think there's a thousand times more in that other one. Four and a half billion solar masses at the center of this thing. My, oh my. Well, there's more than a few galaxies out there, okay? There's, there's another big elliptical galaxy and spiral galaxies and irregular galaxies. And here's a galaxy cluster. How about that? We get clusters of galaxies. This one's called Abel 1689. Also uh, the subject of a Hubble press release within the past year. They were looking at that fuzz right there. Okay? And what is in that fuzz? Well, there's the fuzz. You see what they say here? These are globular clusters. The, the little dots in the fuzz, they're all Omega Centauri's. They think there's 160,000 clusters hung in between the galaxies of this one galaxy cluster. My, oh my. All right, so one more here. What is this? This is a very famous picture by Hubble Space Telescope called the Ultra Deep Field. So the goal was to take a blank spot on the sky. They chose a spot up near the Big Dipper where there weren't many stars. And they. St- <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny looking at this, huh? And they stared at that for around 11 days total exposure time. And they found 10,000 galaxies. Now, it took them a long time to count that, right? You know what these astronomers are doing, okay? Uh, 10,000. There's only a couple stars here. That's a star, and this is a star. Every other little dot in there is a galaxy. We know how big galaxies are now, right? So, how big a spot on the sky is that? If you can imagine with me that you have a drinking straw, instead of being this long, it's eight feet long. And you go out at night, and you look through that drinking straw. That's the area of the sky you see through the end of the drinking straw. 10,000 galaxies in that spot. So there are, so you, you ask the question, well, how, how many galaxies are there? And the answer is nobody knows. We're still counting them. Okay, it takes a while. Um, um, there's at least hundreds of billions of galaxies in the observable universe. And that's a whole other talk There's an observable universe, but part of the universe we can't even see because the light hasn't even gotten here yet. So listen to me now. Listen really carefully. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Let all the earth Fear the Lord. 
Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Psalm 96. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Psalm 147. He counts the number of stars. He gives names to all of them. Did you hear what I said? He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Psalm 50, or Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 40, in the context of addressing man-made gods, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the strength of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord. And there is no other. Isaiah chapter 40. Describing God and challenging our ways uh, that we think about him. He says, Who has measured the waters of the oceans in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Psalm 113, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. David in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, 
the Son of Man that you care for him. Now, you guys have done really well holding in here with me, but this is really important. Listen to me now. Compared with the size of the universe, even with one star, we know this now, it's true. We are a very, very little account. But stars and galaxies are not the most impressive item of God's created work. In Genesis, it tells us clearly that man is the pinnacle of his creation. In Genesis 1.26, God the Trinity says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Genesis 1.27 goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, galaxies aren't gods. They're not specifically made in the image of God. It is men who were created rational and moral beings like God himself. If he counts the trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars and has names for them all, do you think for a minute that the seven or so billion Humans on this planet escape his attack. Jesus said, God knows and cares about the whereabout of every sparrow. He said, why even the, ha- the hairs on your head are numbered. Maybe he has names for them. Why is the universe so big? The heavens declare the glory of God. And the universe proclaims his handiwork. Day by day, pours forth speech. Night after night declares knowledge. The size and power and beauty and grandeur of the universe are meant to help us understand what God himself is like. He's revealing himself to us in his eternal power and his divine nature. This is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't start here, you haven't started. In Genesis 1.14, it says, He made the stars for signs, for seasons, for days and years. We know we have seasons, right, because of the tilt of the earth. We know what a year is, right? It's one trip around the sun. The days of the week are named after the seven brightest lights in the night sky. Go Google it. Those, those who know Latin 
can think about that. Diez solas, diez lune, Sunday, moon day, Saturn day. So the stars are for days and years and seasons, but they're for signs as well. Remember, the Lord took Abraham out under the night sky, right? And he said, so shall your descendants be. This is a sign to you. And we read, too, in the New Testament, the sign of the second coming. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. But it's equally true that as part of nature, the heavens reveal God to us. Romans 1.20 says, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So I'll give you one other scriptural sign. And for those of you who are believers tonight, remember this moment. I remember it because I never read this verse quite the way I read it now, understanding this. Psalm 103, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Psalm 36.5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 57.10 says, Your steadfast love is great in the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 108 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Do you get the point? So what do the heavens Teach us about God. Let's revisit our list. He's powerful. Yes, he's unimaginably powerful. He's intelligent. He's unsearchably intelligent. He's glorious. Majestically glorious. Creative. Inexhaustibly creative. Artistic, yes, inexpressibly artistic. In fact, he is the eternal essence of beauty itself. And he's infinite. He's infinite. He's completely beyond our comprehension. I'd like to close with a poem. I don't write many sonnets, but for those who enjoy poetry, you can rejoice with me. I wrote this one, okay? They're not easy. Uh, so this is an English sonnet. Uh, there's two terms in it. One is that I want to review with you. Uh, aperture, that means size, you know, the aperture of a lens. I have a 
telescope that's a six-inch aperture. I wanted eight, I want ten. It's the size of the lens. And the word aster, you hear it in the word, English word asterisk, right? Aster means star. It's a Greek word, star. So asterisk is like a little star. The flower called the aster is a star-shaped petal. So the poem goes like this. Imagine all the wonders that abound in every distant swirling galaxy that daily now in telescopes are found as far as swelling apertures can see. Oh, think upon the grand vistas there where colored triple stars or planets rise while shining moons and rings their splendors share with asters strewn across bright galactic skies. Will heaven then surpassing wonders show when God creates the universe anew? And there, as promised, on his works bestow a beauty he will never need renew? Yes. This shall happen. Yet my soul must say, one look at him will sweep them all away. So bow with me and let's just uh, close with Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing.
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever.